Welcome to 1991 Movie Rewind, a podcast where we watch and review every movie released in 1991, from the all-time greatest classics to the critically panned and everything in between. We will rediscover forgotten fan favorites and uncover hidden gems as we explore the depths of direct-to-video. Join us in our celebration of the fun, unique, and diverse films of this highly underrated year. This week, we watched Hudson Hawk. on 1991 Movie Rewind. Hudson Hawk, played by Bruce Willis, is a highly skilled cat burglar who is just released from prison. Immediately after getting out, his friends and parole officer get him involved in a heist to steal a sculpture from an auction house. Along the way, he discovers he's caught in the middle of two warring sides that are part of a convoluted scheme for world domination, and many different people want him dead. Screenplay by Stephen E. D'Souza and Daniel Waters. Directed by Michael Lehman and released on May 24th, 1991. Have you seen Hudson Hawk before? No. Just... I don't know if I have. I remember the singing, and I remember the parts with the dog. I think that's just because I've just seen clips of it. Yeah. Online, I guess. <laughs> I... I always get this movie confused with Darkman. Okay. For some reason. I guess it's because, like, the cover art of the posters both have someone in a trench coat, like, swinging or jumping. Mm-hmm. And that's really probably the only connection. Um, I know I've seen one or the other or maybe even both in, like, a drive-in setting when it first came out. You know, like, it's, like, the second movie of a double feature. Okay. Uh... If I have seen this, I don't remember a jack about it, <laughs> and it's not worth remembering. It's not a good movie. This is one of those critically panned uh, features that we talk about in the opening. I really didn't look at the critical reception. I don't think we need to. I mean, if you looked at something, feel free to bring it up. But um, I just know that Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel gave the movie two thumbs down, and then I was like, well, at least they watched this movie. Not all the like, way through. All the way yeah. through, and not like Mediterranean, where they left. It's so weird that, you know, like, they took the stand for that movie specifically. Like, and I wish there was more of an explanation as to why, but anyway, we talked about that in, the, in, in that <laughs> episode. Um... It's trying to be an R-rated cartoon. It's trying to be... Looney Tunes with swear words and yeah, it's death. Uh, I don't want to say it's like Cool World or like Cool World is trying to be like this, but Cool World is like Cool World came a year after. Yeah, but that had cartoons in it. Yeah, but that was very adult. It it was like I don't know watching heavy metal with like all a, live action 
Yeah. Uh, that movie was so weird. <laughs> I never... I, I actually have not seen Cool World. I have not seen Heavy Metal. Uh, but, I mean, I have seen Who Framed Roger Rabbit, which I think is a better... I mean, that is like... Live-action cartoon yeah, mix, But that right? movie like, is, like, geared sense. toward tr- children. So I watched Cool World being like, oh, it's the same thing. But no. No. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, th- this has. But I thought that was fine. I didn't hate this movie, honestly. Really? <laughs> I was like into it, actually. Huh. <laughs> and then it was giving me like Drop Dead Fred vibes. I was getting more like Suburban Commando vibes from it. Okay. Like it's. There are parts of it that are fun in that way. Because you have, like, over-the-top characters. Like, wait, like, you know, the two Mayflowers. The, yeah. the main villains. You got Richard E. Grant as Darwin Mayflower, and then you have Sandra Bernhardt as Minerva Mayflower. And when they first get introduced, they're, like, extremely boisterous. They're like, I bid a hundred million dollars. And then Minerva right. comes in, I build a hundred million and one dollars. Yeah. And then they, like, waggle their tongues at each other, which is weird. But, I mean, I don't know. Like, it was an interesting rapport between those two. Well, they're married to each other, right? Yeah, but I mean, just like in terms of like actors, they had a good chemistry amongst oh. themselves. Um, but I don't know. Like, it, it has elements that could make it a much better movie than what it was. I really found fault with, you know, some of the stuff we've talked about in other movies like Curly Sue and other things like that where they have literal cartoon sound effects yeah, when they but... do certain actions like when they're you know throwing the life preserver across the roof so they can scale the you know whatever the building getting across the buildings yeah. you know there's like that kind of stuff i was like okay with it because i knew this movie was supposed to be like that does that make it okay because I just knew the movie I knew this movie was like not good going into it but maybe that's why I had like low expectations maybe like <laughs> is it I think, cool as ice type of mentality where you yeah. come into it like expecting like the super cheesiest camp you've ever seen and then when it starts to deliver that you're like yeah I'm into it yeah okay and but I it, think it didn't because it was still too boring for for you yeah and um well because i think when this movie was released it was kind of like what you think it's it was the people who are like fans of die hard they're like yeah i want to see bruce willis do other action movies so let me watch this and the way they marketed this was probably like oh the you know this isn't an over top the over the top camp movie they probably advertised it as like a serious they did they, action they did. movie and then people were disappointed in that and i don't i, I mean i'm not in that group of like thinking oh well i, I want another die hard right like i think yeah. the concept of okay well first like bruce willis when he got this the role for die hard there were definitely critics who were like this is stupid like why is this yeah. comedian getting this action role that's never going to work Right. So like, you know, there was that criticism levied against him back in the late eighties because of his time in moonlighting. But because like he know like he's known primarily as an action person now, mm-hmm. but 
still around this time, this makes perfect sense thematically of having the mix of comedy and action. What I think I have a problem with is that the comedy is way too basic, stupid Looney Tunes, like it's not good Looney Tunes, it's stupid Looney Tunes, and then the action has almost no thought put into it. It's, you know, a lot of people firing bombs at each other or you have i don't know it, it just it felt like old 40 50 year old men running and jumping out the window and that's supposed to be thrilling and exciting but instead it's fucking danny aiello you know like and, <laughs> okay. and, and, it, and it looks like danny aiello <laughs> trying to do a stunt and he ain't no tom cruise and so like there's nothing about watching hudson hawk swing from a rope down to the road below that's exciting to me. There's nothing about the really cheesy green screen effect of them flying that machine at the end while they're mugging to the camera incessantly that's exciting or funny to me. Like, I I think part of what's the difference between this and Cool as Ice to me is that Cool as Ice was trying to be serious. This knows it's a joke yeah. And because it knows it's a joke, it's trying to play that up, and that's what makes it ineffectual. Like, it's trying too hard. Okay. For me. <laughs> okay. I can tell that this, like, the crew seems to be having a blast. Yeah, like, I feel they, like they really people enjoy were having themselves. fun on this movie, and I was, like, sensing that fun. I don't... Yeah, there were times it wasn't... where okay. I mean, I think he... I can understand, like, you want, like, a... Like, I'm cool with, like, quips. I'm cool with, you know, like, one-liners and zingers and all this kind of stuff. I'm cool with, like, Suburban Commando. Like, it knew it was jokey and funny. It was also geared towards kids. Right. And it didn't go, like, too incredibly far with a lot of the stuff that it did. And the character still played it off straight. And I think that's probably the main difference, the more I think about it, is, like, Christopher Lloyd and Hulk Hogan were still playing this off largely straight like that this is the real world to them hudson hawk bruce willis and danny aiello and everyone involved are like constantly winking to the camera almost literally and that's maybe what makes the difference you want like a this is like a wannabe naked gun yeah like a you want a naked but again gun. leslie nielsen acts like he's part of the real world yeah. You know, like he's just there causing havoc like Mr. Magoo and everyone else is, you know, just going about their business. In this movie, everyone's like, you know, almost like trying to elbow the audience like, huh? Huh? Look at this. Look what we're doing right now. Huh? Mm-hmm. Okay. So like the movie, when it started, I was really confused because I mm. don't know. Like all I know is... Bruce Willis, Danny Aiello, and, like... Andy McDowell, perhaps? Andy McDowell. <laughs> and then the dog. All I remember is, like, where's the dog? Because all I remember <laughs> was the dog stuff. Which is probably the most disturbing parts in the movie. But... Yeah. So when it starts, I'm like, are we watching Mediterranean? Because <laughs> it's, like, I mean, it's in Italy, like, back when Leonardo da Vinci was alive. And it's, you're showing da Vinci. And then I was also thinking, like, is this the da Vinci code? 
I mean, sort of. I mean, did Dan Brown <laughs> steal this idea? I mean, I don't know from much. From Hudson Hawk? I don't know anything about the Da Vinci Code, but I mean, I think they do mention, like, the Da Vinci Code or Da Vinci Code. The Da Vinci Codex, the Da Vinci Codex, Codex. which is, like, yeah. you know, like, his manuscript with, like, you know, all his ideas, like, his inventions that, whatever. Yeah. So, like, the general idea is, okay, first off, you have this Princess Bride-like thing, right? So, they're ripping off Princess Bride by having, like, this, jo- you know, the narration and joke, you know, not joke book, but, you know, like jokey narrator as you open up a storybook and talk about leonardo da vinci you got william conrad narrating this which is like one of his it's actually his last movie um he's done a lot of stuff like uh the tv show canon he was the narrator in rocky and bullwinkle the fugitive buck rogers lone ranger jake and the fat man tv series and this was his last one before he died a couple years later so you have like this well-known narrator doing this princess bride-like thing um and then you have da vinci and it's like they set the tone for the comedy very early on uh where you see like him painting the mona lisa and the mona lisa like the painting is only missing the smile part and he says okay now mona lisa go ahead and smile and like the model is there and she opens her mouth and has like these really fake like busted ass teeth in her mouth like all right I don't know. Like you get the sense of like again, like it's yeah. trying to be like naked gunish, I guess. Yeah. You know, like, um, but yeah, they're showing the history of Da Vinci because the whole concept of the movie is that Da Vinci has this contraption that basically uses alchemy and solar power to turn um, what was it lead, lead into, gold. into gold. And so you know that gets broken up, and now they're trying like basically Hudson is being asked to steal all these different artifacts that have the pieces of the prism thingy that allows this to work. Yeah. And so the, whatever. Capitalism can collapse and then the billionaires can... But yeah, I mean, I understand where you're going. And it's a long sequence. It's kind of a... Yeah, because I was really confused. And I'm like, what are... Is this the movie? What are we watching? Because I didn't know the setup for this movie yeah um and then it just you know fast forwards to i guess and plus no previews on the vhs yeah we're help. like so every like, time is this supposed to be a preview a... and it's not yeah yeah every time we get watch a vhs we're hoping for some previews and none of them have them it's disappointing or even bloopers no this is like the perfect movie for bloopers I would have, yeah, I want to see some bloops from this movie. Like, I really would have wanted to. Like, legitimately, not just because I enjoy bloopers in any scenario. Because uh, they look like they were having yeah. fun. So I want to see them, like, behind the scenes having fun. Yeah. Unless this entire movie is the bloopers. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and there are parts that seem like they would be outtakes that they just kept in, but. Like, when they're paralyzed and they can only move their necks. Yeah. And so okay. they're just, like, acting like bobbleheads wobbling around. Like, look, it's proof I can only move my head. Uh-huh. I don't know. That that <laughs> that seemed like an outtake. Oh. <laughs> anyway, like, it, I don't know who it's trying to appeal to. Like, this movie is, like, very yeah, much stuck in the past where it's, like, this 40s P.I. type of jazz in the background. You have these, you know, classic like, yeah, Dick cartoon Tracy-ish. jokes. Yeah, Dick Tracy-ish. 
all the music in here is like old standards from like the 40s and 50s you know like the Bing Crosby Frank Sinatra and earlier era like old standards that are probably copyright free uh, to some degree like I don't know it it makes no goddamn sense <laughs> when they're doing their first heist right there's this recurring what's supposed to be a joke I guess where Hudson Hawk can tell you the running time of any song that you name it, well, because right. I think, yeah, I think, you know, the singing of the songs is how long it's going to take them to steal whatever they're going to steal. So yeah. they're like, this is going to take three minutes, whatever, seconds long. Think of a song that's like right. the same amount of time and we'll sing it together. Out loud while they're trying to steal something. Well, yeah. With security guards in the building. Well, they can hum Out it. Out loud. You think they can hum it to themselves or yes. something? Yes. Yeah, Have a then, plate in the background. I get it, I guess, but I don't know. But instead, like, you see them jaunting around, like, lollygagging. Because they're having fun. I, mm. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not. I'm not having fun. <laughs> like, I, I get it. I was into it. I don't know. I'm... <laughs> You're the one who you're the one who's really into I would you know what what the hell was that called like I'd rather be a fish or whatever the hell that song was Oh, swinging on a star. I don't know. Yeah. At the end, it was side by side, but the the, the first, first one the is first swinging one. on a star. Oh, okay. I, I'm not. Very it also with reminded it. me of like in Baby Driver. I don't know if you remember. Sure, this. but Baby Driver like actually curated the filmmaking to be in tune with the rhythm of the song and like certain actions hit the beats like that was the whole appeal of Baby like Driver. however long that song was you know like in their first heist or whatever in that movie yeah it, meticulously timed yeah it was timed to that song and it kind of it i think this is what hudson hawk is trying to do but like Baby Driver did it better. Of course. <laughs> yes. But I'm just... It's like, if they, like... I don't know. I'm thinking, like, if it, like... Someone cared a little bit more, this movie would have been, like, really good. Yeah. It had the potential to be really good. Yeah. It's not. But I can, <laughs> I can see, <laughs> this like... Is, this is a Bruce Willis passion project. Yeah, but I can just see, went terribly wrong. like... Okay, I get the ideas. <laughs> I... Yeah. There are concepts there. Yeah. And there are some decent jokes, too. Like, I don't know, when he's... <clears throat> when he's breaking out of... The, or I, I don't know if it's breaking out. When he's out of the ambulance and he's, like, on the gurney in the highway. Yeah. Right? And he's, like, somehow able to, like... That was maintain... giving me naked gun vibes. It, yeah. Uh, when he's, you know, able to, like, maintain speed and he's, like, zooming in between traffic while he's on this gurney or And whatever. he's paying the toll. And he's paying the toll. And, like, there's some woman in a car who is actually played by Lisa Matthews, 1991 Playboy Playmate of the Year, who was dating Joel Silver, the producer at the time, um, who says, Hey, mister, are you gonna die? Like, I thought that was saying, hilarious. Yes, like, that's a legitimately good joke. Okay, okay. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like, there are some good moments in this movie. It has potential. It's like, hey, mister, are you going to die? Like, is super <laughs> happy about it? I don't know. And, and 
and like, I like the concept of like the candy gang or whatever the hell they're called, where you have four different people named after like Snickers and Kit Kat and Butterfinger and Almond Joy, and you know they have their different roles and personalities, but there's so much happening in this movie that you don't really get to get into any of them. Uh, yeah, I get it. And I also like, you know, all he wants is like a perfect cup of coffee. He wants his cappuccino and he just can't have it. Which yeah, is there's like, always something that goes wrong with it. Like it gets spilled in the car or like the machine is whatever. Or some other weird ass thing that kind of like throws me off is when he's in the bar, he's about to sh- have his cappuccino and then it gets shot. Yeah. The, cu- the cup is destroyed by a, a gunshot and no one in the bar cares. The, a f- gun was just fired. They all just go about their business. They're probably used to that. I don't know. I don't know. It, but anyway, there's a couple things that bother me about that. One was the fact that like nobody reacted and it's supposed to be like this you know, good bar. And two, Danny Aiello's character, Tommy, five-tone. This is the five-tone bar that he apparently co-owns with Bruce Willis because at some point he's like, half of this club is yours. And it's obviously super successful. So, like, why the fuck do they need to do these jobs? I have no Other idea. than just, like, greed. Is this, like... But, like, Hudson wants to get out of the business. So, I don't know. Whatever. The, the coffee is shot by the Mario Brothers. Which... Which, which isn't exactly, like, spelled out. It's... Like Caesar Mario and and Anthony Mario, they're they're always they never call them the Mario Brothers. But Which I feel like if they did, would Nintendo sue them or something? I don't know because at one point Hudson also says, "Well, what's a Nintendo?" But that's right? what I was like. So like I think he's like you know it's all meant to be like, haha! Look at you know look at this little in joke that we're yeah doing. the Mario Brothers and Nintendo yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think Nintendo would have been able to sue. But, well, if they say we are the Mario Brothers, would is that like a copyright thing? Mm, no, just saying it out loud, I don't think so. Okay, I don't know anything. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I mean, you could easily call it parody. Because they're not like dressed up in different colors or anything. They're, neither of them have mustaches. Uh, it's, it's Frank Stallone is one of them. Cesar Mario is Frank Stallone. And I actually didn't write down the person who played the other one because he doesn't have a lot of acting credits. Um... Frank Stallone, by the way, Golden Globe and Grammy nominated for his song Far From Over and also for the score for Staying Alive. I didn't know he had that. Like, he has a prolific music career. Yeah, I know that. But I didn't know he was ever Golden Globe or Grammy nominated for any of it. He's also a... Wait, okay, Staying Alive, okay. Staying Alive, the the sequel to Saturday Night Fever. No, I know that movie, like, really well. (laughs) He, He did the score for it. I know, because yeah. <laughs> I know that movie really well. Okay. I just didn't know that it was, like... Because I used to make fun of the music in that movie. Well, it got I didn't a Grammy know nomination. that it was, like, um... It got recognized for a Golden Globe. Yeah. Uh, he also has a Razzie win for Worst Song for Rambo Part 2, Peace in Our Life. Um, and he is also an actor in two other 1991 movies, The Rollerblade 7 and Lethal Games, which I own on VHS. I own Lethal Games. Um, they're not in it all that long. They get um, killed off in that 
ambulance chant Ch- chase yeah, thing, there, there which was if, like a... <laughs> with with like the, the ambulance like exploding in midair because I guess somebody probably hit the detonator too soon when they're doing the take, but it's supposed to like flip over and crash, but it explodes like in midair before it actually lands. Mm-hmm. But I mean that was a good sequence. I enjoyed that sequence a lot. That was a about the only one that I enjoyed. I mean, that's not true. I also enjoyed the bratty kid in the Vatican or wherever it was that they're... Yeah, but, I mean, that was, like, a 14-year-old girl. It mm-hmm. was, like, I know the way... When they're in the Vatican and when they get to Italy, the way that they're, like, making fun of American culture, that was that made me laugh. Because, mm-hmm. like, that little girl is being a fucking obnoxious little asshole. Yeah. And then someone's like, you're embarrassing our culture or something like that. Yeah. I forgot what... And I was like, that's funny. But... And then the whole thing with her stuffed animal. Yeah. But I was just it like, it's like a 14-year-old girl. Things are protected is the ultimate goal of that scene. Yeah. But, I mean, it's, it's not unreasonable to think that that's true, regardless of her age, if she is, like, early teens. But... But a lot of, there's a lot that happens in this movie, and I don't think we're going to be able to get across all of the different scenes and whatnot. There's so many different characters, too. Like, we've just named a couple by name. Like, Darwin and Minerva are the main bad guys. Bad guys. But you also have George Kaplan, played by James Coburn, who's the leader of this candy gang. I don't know what they're actually called. Candy Bar Crew? Candy Crew? I don't know. Well... They're like CIA agents, right? And they change they change their code names like for each um, mission they're on. Right. Because before that they were like STDs. Yeah. Another joke that doesn't land. Yeah, that I was like, okay, because <laughs> she would whatever Almond Joy is like. Yeah, I didn't want to be called. Um, chlamydia anymore but whatever <laughs> i don't know so they're basically the handlers they're they are always around um and george kaplan is like the leader of that i think the name george kaplan is also a reference to something else but i forget what it was and i didn't write it down so i apologize it's another older media reference but i don't fully remember um and they also have Anna, who's played by Andy McDowell, who we first see in the auction house after the horse sculpture is successfully stolen uh, when they're singing out loud, whatever, you know, they successfully steal it. There's a replica that's put into its place, and she is there to verify that this piece is yeah, legitimate think, yeah. before the action, auction actually starts. And that's sort of our first cue to understand that, yes, that she's in on this whole thing, too, because she should know it's fake. It looks like she knows it's fake. Mm-hmm. But, yes, she still says, yep, it's good for auction. Um, and then when things start to go downhill and Hudson Hawk gets identified by the guard, she trips the guard and is ba- able to escape before the auctioneer, who has evidently a hidden explosive in his gavel goes off and he explodes which is 
also one of the better parts of the movie, like seeing like some of the special effects. Right. And that's, yeah, and he's like whisked away to Italy. Hudson is. Hudson is. Not the auctioneer. Yeah, he's the auctioneer's dead. Gone. He's gone. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he's, he's basically tranquilized, put into a box, and shipped to Italy yeah. without his knowledge. So, like, there's a lot of expo- exposition here and there. A lot of, you know, jumping on tables and a lot of, you know, explaining blah, blah, blah. Um, there's also a really good scene with the Mayflowers' butler, Alfred, played by Donald Burton there, who's uh, talking to the parole officer, who's also a secret criminal, right? Uh, the parole officer of Hudson Hawk. And... He's like, well, where's my cut? We sold this thing. Like, we stole this thing. We sold it. Where's my cut? And he's like, well, here's your cut. And he has, like, this hidden knife in his sleeve. And he slashes the throat of um, the parole officer guy. Mm-hmm. And the camera, like, is in the point of view of the, the arm and, and pans across. It's a really cool shot. It's, it's one of the better shots in the movie. At some point in there, before he even gets to Italy, that, you know, obviously that's when the ambulance stuff happens. And then... Um, after the crash is when he gets confronted with the candy gang and then they tranquilize him and ship him off into the uh, into Italy where Anna is also suddenly appearing which he thinks right. is just an interesting coincidence yeah so is she really she's a nun right <laughs> she's supposedly a nun but the, the thing is, like, she works with, like, the Vatican in some way, and, like, the cardinal that they have in the movie is also part of some sort of, like, a secret organization. I was like, is she undercover as a nun, or is she truly a nun? I don't know. That's I don't know what if I the was movie trying knows. to figure out. Like, some of this is very convoluted. Okay. But, well, like, the... there's, like, three different factions, it seems. Like, there's the potential CIA. I don't even know if they're really CIA. Or if they're ex-CIA. Yeah, yeah. Or whatever it is. Because nothing about what their actions are doing indicate any sort of government CIA. involvement. Because yeah. they could call in reinforcements at any time and have a bunch of people there. If they were. This so is like, They're like Mission Impossible or something. Yeah, they're trying to portray it as some sort of like a secret organization shadow government thing. But yeah. I don't know. Um, and then you have the Mayflowers and Alfred, who are like the billionaire people who are trying to get all this stuff. They have Da Vinci's machinery in Italy, mm-hmm. and now they just need the three pieces of this thing in order to uh, start the alchemy and turn lead to gold and just, you know, basically destroy the world's financial market. And then you have the religious crew who are trying to stop them both. But do they have an ulterior motive? We're not sure. Right. Or are they just trying to save the world and everyone knows who the other people are? Like, everyone knows who everyone is. So, like, the Candy Gang knows who Anna is. Yeah. There's history there. So, but we don't fully know all of the history and stuff. Because, I mean, it's an almost two-hour movie we don't need more time tacked onto this for more exposition than we already get. Even though if it would help. Or all the three pieces are, are stolen. The second one is in Italy under the contraption that the, the bratty kid uncovers through like the toy being thrown. Mm-hmm. 
um, and he's able to like set up some sort of like big device to steal the thing and then trap the guard when he goes to investigate it. And then the third piece is in the Louvre as part of like this, you know, prototype helicopter of Da Vinci's. Apparently it's, it's in there and he's really needed to do this. Like there's nothing, there's, this is what bothers me. Like, like the action is mostly explosions and gunshots. Fine, I guess, but it's not that exhilarating. There's nothing about their actions that says like expert cat burglar to me. Like there's the heists that they pull off are not that interesting. What, over the top? what about the whole thing with Danny Aiello when they fake his death? That doesn't have anything to do with the heist. Okay, I don't know. They're just like MacGyvering their way through things. Yeah. But like the first one, all he does is he cuts the hole in the glass. Yeah. I mean, and they then come they up use with like skateboards ways. to be quieter than walking, even though skateboards would definitely be louder. They would their make heads the are... rolly sounds on the yes. floors. <laughs> and clearly, their heads are poking up above the windows when they're perched on top of their skateboards, so that the guards could see them if they looked over. Whereas if they just slowly shimmied along the ground, it'd be fine. And but quieter. then you can hear a shimmy, the ruffling of clothes, like. I don't know. <laughs> it's probably a lot quieter than skateboards. I know, but you can hear the wheels and on again, hardwood floor. If you're trying to be quiet, don't sing the songs out loud. They're singing to themselves quietly. No, they're not. <laughs> it's definitely not quietly. They want to hear their own voices because, again, this is a passion project. Project, and both Bruce Willis and Danny Aiello have aspirations of being singers in their other lives, in real life. Yeah. And so they want to showcase their pipes. Yeah, in this movie. Yep. In fact, like, the, the song, there, there's a song called Hudson Hawk by one of the other people who did the, the story Yeah. for this. Uh, and that's sort of, like, how this came to be, is Bruce Willis was really good friends with this person, and they wrote like a backstory, and they're like, "Well, if anyone ever becomes big enough to make this happen, let's make this happen." And so now Bruce Willis is making it happen. They they basically say, "We really need you for this last job in the Louvre. Like you're the only one who could do it." And then he doesn't do it. I forget exact. I honestly already forget the reason. We watched this movie like two days ago, and I don't remember the stupid reason why he didn't do it. Um. I mean, what's this? But then, like, like the like... candy gang just went in and, like, basically guns blazing and just took it. So, like, so why why the fuck did you... Like, they like they blew up the Louvre or something like that? It was something off-screen. It all happened off-screen, mm-hmm. but they, they, like, blew up the museum or something and just took it. Yeah. So, clearly, they didn't need them. And then, like, um, the Mayflowers wanted him, Hudson Hawk, to, like, put all the shit together... Like, make it work. They were telling him yeah, that... God, that's so stupid. They're like, okay, <laughs> they like, have all the crystals. Me? They're like, we've been trying for hours for yeah. like to get these crystals put together, and we can't figure out the right combination. You do it, Hudson Hawk. Yeah, why like, the fuck would he know how? That's exactly... I was like, well, he was like, why would I know? <laughs> like, uh, like not historical expert Anna, who's also there. Yeah. Which I think when they were trying to get stuff out of her, like the, I was getting kind of lost when they, they had Anna and she was like talking like a dolphin. 
Yeah. I was like, what the hell's going on now? So, so <laughs> like, they did the paralyzed thing. Yeah. Right? And she was still pretending to be under the paralyzation, and also that there was some sort of weird side effects of that yeah, the, poison yeah, that made poison. her, like, talk to dolphins and basically speak in tongues and do all kinds of stuff. It's just her faking so that she could avoid I, telling I her, know that. telling them stuff. But it was But yeah, it did not weird. come across very well, and it was not funny. <laughs> uh, the Mayflowers, well, it's mostly... It, also, the song, The Power, is when we first see when um, Hudson Hawk is taken to the Mayflowers place, you have Minerva just like sitting on a table or something with headphones on. Singing I've Got the Power by Snap. Yeah. There's some sort of, like, world leaders meeting that's happening in their office. Yeah. That is never addressed. You don't actually get introduced to any of them, but you see all kinds of different people in cultural garb. Yeah. Around this M-shaped table for their last name. And she's, yeah, laying on top of it just, yeah, singing Singing I've Got the Power. So this is, like, the second movie? At least that we've seen that has the but that song is not on the soundtrack. Okay. But she has this dog bunny. She just like when she calls it, she'll or wants it to do anything. She'll go bunny ball ball. To like distract him from other things or to. Make him run away or whatever. Yeah, and like throws an actual ball. And throws a ball. But there, like, a couple of scenes with that, when they tie Hudson Hook up to a chair, and the dog is, like, chewing on his, his ball groin. Yeah, like that's, <laughs> and then that's he's the saying... Like, oh, you found the ball ball. Yeah, that, that scene was, like, disturbing to me. Yeah, because he's making it all sexual. Yeah, because he was like, oh, if he continued another two minutes, I would have been there. And I was like, ew, yeah. I don't want to know that. It's really, yeah, it's dumb. Like, that's not funny to me. But even when, I mean, I know, with when they, like, near the end, when, you know, they kill, like, the Mayflowers are, like, killed. They kill, don't they kill off the um their guard, too? Because they're going saying... It's hit like him saving um, Anna, and he and she's like, "Oh, you can take this." Like at the end of when they're all trying to escape and get out, and um, it gets to Alfred, she's like, "Oh, you can take this," because he starts with the his whole knife thing. Yeah. They were doing like, "Oh, I can take it," and she's like, "Oh, okay." And then oh, the next one, when she you're, was like, when you're saying Anna was talking to Hudson and be like, it, it's your turn. Oh, it's your turn. And and Hudson's like, it's been my turn the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. But he was like, oh, it's your turn now. But I forgot whose turn. I for I think it was when they got to Alfred and she was like, oh, it's my turn now. But then when she saw the knives come out, she's like, oh no, it's your turn now. I don't know. But then it gets to like the dog. Yeah. And that's when he he puts, like, the ball in, like, one of the contraptions that the Mayflowers have. Is that, like, a Da Vinci 
Yeah, it's some sort of canon-like thing. Canon thing, and he goes, oh, bunny, ball, ball, and the ball goes out the window, and the dog jumps after it. I mean, I know that's, like, funny, but also, like, not funny at the same time. It's really hard to get, like, a pet death whatever right. I think, honestly, like, one of the only movies that does it is, like, Fish Called Wanda. Like, that's the only one. That makes me sad, It's still sad, but it's, like, it's still probably, like, one of the most effective. One of, and I was thinking of, like, in The People Under the Stairs with the dog Prince, where they do the slide thing. Yeah, but that wasn't his, that wasn't to his death. Yeah, I mean, it wasn't until. Prince's death was, was like, that was Unfortunately, like, the dog was like stabbed and then you know the owner hurt right. his dog whatever but anyway. anyways any pet death i'm already sad there's like yeah, no the, funny pet death the way all the putts but, the pet stuff happened in this movie was not enjoyable to me that's all i'm saying i mean that was supposed to be fun i kind of laughed because just seeing like you can tell it's like some fake ass like yeah for someone's stuffed animal flying out a window and i'm laughing at that yeah, again, they do try to make it cartoony. Like, I think yeah. they're okay with, like, you know, showing us, here's this, this random ball of fluff that we're throwing out. And, you know, again, they, they're escaping from this situation where everything's exploding, and they get into Da Vinci's um, flying machine, and they jump off the, the cliff or whatever and float down to some random town. And while they're doing it in the explosions in the background, you can see, like, terrible blue screen effects and, like, they're, you know, they're contorting their faces in all kinds of ways. Just really there handing are, it Yeah, off. there are a couple times where, well, there's, they think that Tommy Five-Tone is dead. Well, he should be. He should, yeah, he should have been dead, like, at least two, three times. But, like, in this case, he really should have been because he he was in a limousine that blew up Mm -hmm. and crashed down a very steep mountain. And basically, like, they make a joke out of that, too, when he shows up. He's like, hey, you okay? Yeah, he just appeared. can you believe it? There are automatic sprinklers in the back of the limo. I thought that was kind of funny, though. I mean, it was clever, (laughs) I I guess. Because, like, then they're like, oh, yep, that's definitely believable as to how that happened. You know, like, they're, they're making a comment on how, like, stupid and ridiculous that he's alive is yeah and i you know that's fine because it, it wherever hudson hawk appears like tommy five to- <laughs> is just there and they're like oh hey you lived and he's like yep isn't mm-hmm. that crazy or whatever but it made me think of like that's like another naked gun thing mm-hmm. with like the oj simpson stuff yeah like the way they just beat him up but he's still alive yeah or like a wily e. coyote in a, in a sense too you know what i mean like if he, he's able to fall off this cliff get exploded and yeah he just he shows up with like soot on his face and he's right and then you know hudson gets his coffee legitimately yeah for the first time and then credits it's a lot there's a lot going on and, like, all those different bad guys, they get picked off one by one. We didn't really talk about how they all die. But, like, basically they're all killed individually. And there's a lot of them to go through over the course of... I mean, so there should be a lot of action, but it just never captured me in any way. And I think it's because maybe the first part was so slow and not very fun. 
The second half should have been better, <laughs> but I think it's because the first half really pulled me out of it that the last act didn't work. For me. Obviously, it worked a little bit better for you. I can move on to cast and crew that we haven't talked about real quickly here. Michael Eamon is the director, Emmy nominated for The Larry Sanders Show, Sundance nominee and spirit winner for Heathers. He's also directed Airheads and My Giant. He's done a lot of TV shows such as Dexter, American Horror Story, Nurse Jackie, and the new Veronica Mars. Stephen E. D'Souza was the writer, one of the writers. He's a Razzie winner for the Flintstones movie. He also did 48 Hours, Commando, Jumping Jack Flash, Running Man, Die Hard 1 and 2, so that's where the Bruce Willis connection comes in for there, Beverly Hills Cop 3, Street Fighter, Judge Dredd, and also the 1991 movie Ricochet. So he has a, like a good variety of stuff under his belt. Daniel Waters, the other writer, Spirit nominated for Heathers, and also a Razzie Award winner for The Adventures of Ford Fairlane. Batman Returns and Demolition Man and Vampire Academy are also his talked about Bruce Willis and how this is like his his passion project. I don't know what he thinks about this movie. Did you look that up at all? I know that some of the other people were disappointed in how it turned out, especially Richard mm -hmm. E. Grant is very critical of this. But um, Bruce Willis, I'm not sure if he, you know... Again, it looked like they were having fun. I, I don't fault them for making this movie. It has good elements to it. Anyway, uh, Bruce Willis, like we talked about, Emmy and Golden Globe nominated and also a winner for Moonlighting, Emmy winner for Guest Spot on Friends, Golden Globe nominated for In Country, Spirit nominated for Moonrise Kingdom, Saturn nominated for Death Becomes Her, 12 Monkeys, Armageddon, and Sixth Sense, MTV Movie Award nominations for Sixth Sense and Last Boy Scout, which is a 1991 movie we'll watch later on. Um, he's also in Mortal Thoughts and Billy Bathgate. He has Razzie nominations for Color of Night, North, Death Wish, Glass, Breach, Hard Kill, Survive the Night, also wins for Armageddon, Mercury Rising, and The Siege. And there was also a 2021 category uh, that was planned for the Razzies for worst performance by Bruce Willis in a Bruce Willis movie. They included eight movies, but they decided to eliminate that after his recent announcement of his uh, aphasia condition, which has caused him to retire from acting. Uh, Danny Aiello as Tommy, Golden Globe, and Oscar-nominated for Do the Right Thing. He's in the 1991 movie Once Around and 29th Street. Um, best known for things like Moonstruck, Purple Rose of Cairo, Radio Good Days, Leon the Professional, and um, also in the music video for Madonna's Papa Don't Preach. And I think you're going to talk a little bit more about that in a minute, <laughs> perhaps. Um, Andy McDowell, Spirit Award winner and Golden Globe nominee for Sex, Lies, and Videotape. Golden Globe nomination for Green Card, Four Weddings and a Funeral, Made and also a Saturn Award winner for Groundhog Day, my favorite movie of hers, a 1991 movie Object of Beauty, and Women and Men 2, In Love There Are No Rules. So she's in three total. James Coburn as George Kaplan. He's in there a lot more than the Candy Crew, unfortunately. Um, James Coburn is the Spirit nominated and Oscar winner for the movie Affliction, Emmy nominee for The Mists of Avalon as a producer of that. He's in such classics as Magnificent Seven, Great Escape, Charade, and probably the reason he's in this, the Flint series of movies, Our Man Flint and In Like Flint. Richard E. Grant, Oscar, BAFTA, Golden Globe nominee, and Spirit Award winner for Can You Ever Forgive Me. Um, also in With Nail and I, Warlock, Ready to Wear, Gosford Park, 
and also the 1991 movie L.A. Story. He played Darwin Mayflower, as we talked about. Again, really good campy character with Sandra Bernhardt, who played Minerva, best known for her stand-up comedy, but has also done other things like Roseanne, Pose, Hercules, the TV show, King of Comedy, and also is going to be in Madonna Truth or Dare. And then, you know, I think most of the people who are in the candy game, we can sort of like skip over, but yeah, David Caruso is Kit Kat in a non-speaking role in there. Uh, you have Lorraine Toussaint, who's uh, well-known as well for, for things like Middle of Nowhere and Any Day Now and Orange is the New Black and whatnot. Um, and we've seen Butterfinger, Andrew Brynarski, in Necessary Roughness already, and he played like Zangief in Street Fighter. So that's about it for that in terms of awards nothing positive <laughs> it has the uh, a stinkers bad movie award nominee for the worst picture but lost to nothing but trouble razzie award went uh, i'm sorry razzie award nominee for worst actor for bruce willis he lost to kevin costner worst supporting actor richard e grant lost to dan Aykroyd. worst supporting actress for sandra bernhardt she lost to sean young for the oh. twin who died early um and then also won the razzie for worst screenplay worst director and worst picture it was also up for worst picture of the decade in the 2000 razzie awards but lost to showgirls so on to true crime and pop culture okay so no true crime you mean this didn't happen no. <laughs> None of these <laughs> Not things Not based on happened. a true story? No. But, um, Hudson Hawk was released on May 24th, 1991, which is a Friday, and it was the same day as Drop Dead Fred. And Wild Hearts Can't Be Broken. But, um... I'll just... The sound... I'll talk about the soundtrack, but just a little bit, because, I mean, it didn't chart anywhere <laughs> it was mm-hmm. just released uh, a couple weeks before this movie <clears throat> and there's 11 tracks but it's mostly um what you were saying it was just a lot of score and then you know the two songs that bruce willis and danny aiello sing which is swinging on a star and side by side so and then they even show on the track listing that the the version that Bruce and Danny sing for these songs are sung in incorrect order of verses. Okay. Uh, that's they're like in parentheses. So it's like if you listen to the original songs by like you know who swinging on a star and side by side. I know side by side is what Paul Inca and then Bing Crosby. So it's not the same order as the originals, I guess. Don't know why they would do that, but okay. That's just what to make it, it their own. Yeah, it's just as the plot device in the film refers to the original track and then their song their their singing these songs are like actually two minutes long, but the actual songs are like six minutes long. Okay. So it's just them shortening it because we only see them singing for like a couple minutes yeah. for each song. So it's yeah. that. So it's not the full songs. 
if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. As much as this movie mm-hmm. makes sense, yes. Yeah. So I'm just going to get into the singing careers of Bruce Willis and Danny Aiello. So Bruce Willis, he, his first album, the solo album was in 1987. It was called The Return of Bruno. And the album did, this was like, this album did pretty well. And his lead single, which is called Respect Yourself, that's that's the only song I know yeah. by him. And it's a duet with one of the Pointer sisters, June Pointer. And I don't know, I was trying to find like the story of like why he calls it The Return of Bruno, because... In a couple of his videos, he refers to himself as Bruno. Right. Like, he's a guy who owns a bar named Bruno. I mean, he used to be a bartender before yeah. he acted, and so maybe he just got that nickname. Okay. That, that, like, that's how he got connected with the guy. Yeah, the that Kraft guy. Yeah, Robert Kraft. Robert Kraft, yeah. Because Robert Kraft was like a musician in the bar, and he would just pop up with yeah, his harmonica they were pl- and just I, start playing together. Yeah, I know. I remember... I sort of would watch Moonlighting when I was a kid because I think my mom watched it. But yeah, I remember I a couple episodes. I remember him playing the harmonica a lot. So whatever, that's how I always remembered him. Whatever, but um, so the lead single "Respect Yourself" with June Pointer, that was a hit, and it peaked at number five on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100, and then number seven on the U.K. Singles Chart. And then it was number eight in the Canadian charts. Hmm. His follow-up singles did not do well in the U.S., but they were they did well in the U.K. And they the singles were one of the songs was called "Young Blood," which is the video is so weird. It's him as Bruno playing as if he was someone who was on stage during Woodstock singing this song called Young Blood. Okay. It's just like a lot, I was like what the hell's going on? And a lot of his music is very like blues soul R&B-ish type songs. And then he does like a lot of covers. He did Under the Boardwalk with The Temptations and that was that actually reached number two in the UK singles in the 80s, huh. 1987, which is wild to me. And then he also did Secret Agent Man, which peaked at number 43 in the UK. That was on his first album. His second album is called If It Don't Kill You, It Just Makes You Stronger. Which I only listened to one track on it because the song was also in the movie The Whole Nine Yards, which is which he was in. Yeah. And the track is called Tenth Avenue Tenth Avenue Tango and it's just instrumental. There's no it's just like an R and B blues instrumental song. Alright. And then in two thousand one he released a classic Bruce Willis the Universal Masters collection which is like Final. I guess his hits um 
he also he did some music for moonlighting it so moon there was a moonlighting soundtrack and he has a song on there called good lovin and he was a voice in rugrats he was like the dog in rugrats so he has yeah the rugrats go wild movie in 2000 that was released in 2003 yeah not the tv show i should say rugrats go wild movie and he sang a song with Chrissy Hine called Big Bad Cat. Because I think Chrissy Hind was the voice of the cat in the movie. I think that's like the third Rugrats movie, perhaps. Yeah, I don't think I've seen that one. I've never seen any of this. I think I saw the first one. But, yeah, whatever. And then he was in... He did a track with the Blues Traveler in 2008 on a Blues Traveler. What their album called North Hollywood Shout Out and the track is called Free Willis. Okay. <laughs> um so then moving on to Danny Aiello's singing career, he like this was like his debut of singing, I guess. Um in Hudson Hawk and then also in the other nineteen ninety one movie Once Around is that on our list? Mm-hmm. Okay, so he does he released a few albums, but they were like in the two thousands. But um in Once Around he did a lot of covers. They were um like mostly Frank Sinatra covers, like big band whatever songs like fly me to the moon right and stuff like that and apparently he sings that in once around the movie and then he's also in the movie remedy which stars him and his son ricky aiello and he sings in that he his he does his first album was called I Just Wanted to Hear the Words, which was all his big band covers. And then he did a live from Atlantic City CD or album that was released in 2008, which is basically the same songs that was on his first one, but live. So I guess he was in Atlantic Atlanta City at least for Somewhere. a couple shows to <laughs> Singing these live and released an album in 2008. And then he did a Christmas album called My Christmas Song for You and released in 2010. And then he, you mentioned before, he was the father for the video of Madonna's song Papa Don't Preach and he recorded his own song called Papa Wants the Best for You and yeah. the, the lyrics for that are, I don't, that, the whole song is like why (laughs) because the issue that he didn't understand what madonna's song was about when he decided to star in it and then once he learned what the song was about he wrote a response yeah yeah he had help he didn't write it himself he had help and it was written by Artie schroek i'm probably getting that wrong and Artie, he is known for mostly writing like jingles (laughs) the hook is papa just wants the best for you he wants to be proud of the things you do papa wants the best he only wants the best for you yeah and the video is just like him 
like wondering I don't know it's like him working on like a car and like walking around and like wondering about his daughter or something and it's like it's not Madonna Madonna's not in it it's like a younger girl like he's looking on to his young daughter who's like a little girl at this time they both were in theater too so Bruce Willis was in the Broadway play Misery he played you know the James Conn character the James yeah he played the James Conn character and this was in 2015 and 16 and Laurie Metcalf was the uh the the Annie Wilkes I Kathy Bates yeah the Kathy Bates character and then Danny Aiello he was in a lot of Broadway in the 70s and 80s okay did you notice uh, we also have a, a mini Whitney Houston watch? Oh, yeah, itself. I was going to mention. Yeah, because they mention like in the movie, they mention how long certain songs were. And they say that Whitney Houston's Star Spangled Banner was seven minutes and 17 seconds long. But is very much incorrect. I think it's only like three minutes. Well, because I, I was like, wondering the, that. The Super Bowl had not happened yet when they shot the movie. Well, because I was like, when did they... Because, I mean... And also they got the Super was... Bowl number wrong. Huh? They also got the Super Bowl number wrong. Oh. They said, like, Super Bowl, like, 15 or something like that. But oh, was... yeah, because I was wondering, like, when did they film this? Because it would have been after that, but... No, they filmed that line before. So she might have been announced as singing the... As being the singer of the Star Spangled Banner, and they right. just made up a yeah, time tried to be timely okay and made a guess okay yeah, it was it was several minutes off <laughs> yeah and i was like what but it was interesting to see it mentioned in the 1991 yeah. movie um and then the only thing i'll mention in terms of pop culture is that this did get a video game release yes on amiga commodore 64 and other pcs as well as the nes and game boy systems i've not played it uh i hear it's Absolutely terrible. It's supposed to be one of the worst ones. We can move on to rankings and ratings. Where on your one to five star scale are you going to put Hudson Hawk? It's controversial. Controversial. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna give it a two. A two? As much as you were talking it up, in well, a sense? it's. Did I talk you out of a three? No, no, no. I was like. Because I was thinking about Drop... I like Drop Dead Fred more, but I was like... I like this movie, but it's not, like, horrible, but it's also not amazing. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, I'm just... A two. See, I I see where it should be going better. Like, there's... There's the makings for a good movie. It just doesn't come across. And I don't know if it's just that it's like the company business thing where they started with the script and then they made a whole bunch of changes as they were making the movies and just like throwing out one-liners that became plot points and whatnot. Because it sounds like that's part of how this movie was constructed is that nobody really had a full concrete plan and they just kind of did some winging it at times. Um, yeah, it's on my 0 to 4 star scale, it's a 1 it's there are moments i understand what it's trying to go for it just never actually landed for me 
Every movie is worth watching once. Would you watch this again? Be sure, but not right away. I'll watch it again. I'm gonna say no. I mean, I, if I'm gonna watch something silly and goofy again, I'd probably watch something like Suburban Commando more than this. I'd like to see Darkman before I see this to understand, like, which one did I see in the drive-in 30 years ago? Okay. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't know. It's not fun enough for me. If you out there want to watch Hudson Hawk as of this recording in February 2023, it's available on digital rental, VHS, or DVD. VHS has no previews. As always, check your local listings. As for us, you can listen to us on all of your major podcasting platforms. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe, and tell your friends. You can email us at 1991moviewrewind at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Letterboxd, YouTube. Just search 1991moviewrewind or go to 1991moviewrewind.com for the full list of movies, along with show notes and more. Next week, we're continuing our Razzie extravaganza with Oscar. It's available on Hoopla, Digital Rental, VHS, and DVD. We will see you then.